Fellas, welcome to the OMR podcast for the sixth time in English. This week, we have asked a longtime friend of OMR to host the podcast. Our friend Florian Heinemann is one of the most influential figures in digital advertising in Europe. He has created Rocket Internet as a managing director. He has then moved on and founded Project A Ventures, 150 million euro venture fund out of Berlin. He's invested in Zalando, Trivago, all the big companies out of Germany. And um, Flo has talked to, on this podcast, talked to Boss Bothworth, the VP of advertising and the business platform at Facebook. Boss is probably one of the absolute leading figures and um, decision makers at Facebook. And he was in town just last week for our OMR festival. And um, Flo and Boss met and really proud that we were able to record their um, session and that they spent some time together on our podcast. And um, yeah, please enjoy the conversation between Florian Heinemann and Boss Bothworth. Boss. Would be great if we could start a little personal because sure. I mean, there's, there's been this discussion on where <laughs> you have been Mark's professor, but if, if I understand that's not once is that correct, it's not like quite a teaching <laughs> assistant. Yeah, we got well, how, how has it been? I mean, how have you met Mark back then at Harvard? How, 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 how was Mark at Harvard and how did you guys meet? Yeah, so um, at Harvard, it's not uncommon in computer science and mathematics for undergraduates to teach a section. Mm -hmm. So in, in conjunction with a professor who teaches lectures, once a week you would hold your own class, mm -hmm. going over the material freshly with new examples, and then you're responsible for a set of students who you grade their work, and you're working in conjunction with a professor. Uh, at Harvard, we call him a teaching fellow. Mm -hmm. Most places they would call it a teaching assistant or a section leader. And so Mark was randomly assigned to be in my class along with an, actually several other Facebookers, a guy named Consen, who runs uh, a huge number of our teams internally at Facebook, uh, uh, who's also in that class. And I, in turn, was a student of many other people who are also at Facebook. Okay. Um, and so that's not a totally uncommon kind of connection for us to have. Um, and, you know, it's funny, while Mark was a student in my class, he was building Facebook. Mm -hmm. So he launched Facebook like three weeks after the finals. Okay. So, yeah, I think, you know, uh, he, he did very well. <laughs> In the exams or the, did, well, yeah, across launching the board. Facebook, obviously. Yeah, okay, yes. across the board, I think I think he's done okay. I think yeah. we can agree. Yeah, but but have you ever thought about staying in academia? Or was it basically? I mean, how did how did you be, you you were at Microsoft afterwards, right? Yeah, very br very briefly, I spent a year and a half at Microsoft working in the Office division. Mm -hmm. A great product called Visio, which I still love to yeah. this day. The shape sheet. The older was ones a, among us know. Absolutely, <laughs> Visio, man. The shape sheet was real. Um, no, and that, and that was actually, of course, a great experience for me. But I, you know, was very lucky. Mark Zuckerberg uh, at Facebook, they had the idea for what would later become Newsfeed. They had mm -hmm. the vague premonition of what it was going to be. And the recruiter asked him, you know, do you know anybody who knows artificial intelligence? Mm -hmm. And that was the class I had taught. It was the introduction to artificial intelligence at Harvard. Okay. And so he was like, well, I know this one guy. <laughs> and so they called me up and I flew down. And, and of course, I'm born and raised in, in the California Bay Area. Uh -huh. And so this was not only was I working with friends on something that I, I use every day and loved, uh -huh. um, but also getting a chance to be back in the in California Bay Area was, it was great for me. You know, one thing that is not spoken about often, I'm Facebook user number is 1,681. Mm -hmm. So there's only... 1,680 people who have been on the product mm -hmm. longer than I have. Um, there, there are eight people who have been at the company longer than me, which, which I'm working on it. Yeah. No, I hope they stay forever. I'm just kidding, of course. 
but but uh, but you started like working in the core engineering team. Or? Yeah, no, I'm an engineer, you know, by trade, and and I really came up through engineering yeah. um, for my whole career. And so when I started, I built the infrastructure and ranking for Newsfeed. Uh, another engineer by the name of Chris Cox, who today is our chief product officer built the front end uh, and on all the UI, working with a designer named Aaron Siddig. A woman named Ruchi Songvi was our PM. She kind of did all the research and the go-to-market work for us. A very small team, of course, back then, uh, but much smaller product, much easier to work on. Um, and so if you look at where we are today, you know, Chris Cox is the chief product officer. He oversees the entire core app. Mm-hmm. What you see when you go to the Facebook app is, is mostly the work that his team is doing. Um, and, and I'm leading the ads and business platform group. Mm-hmm. One thing, I mean, you, I think you're responsible for all things at tech or advertising since four years? For four years now, that's right. Before But, that, I was working on newsfeed, messenger, uh-huh. groups. I've worked on photos, videos, events, uh, privacy, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of different work, uh-huh. uh, whatever was, was needed at the time. But if you, if you think about it, I mean, isn't it quite an unusual thing to basically say, okay, somebody that has been working <laughs> on engineering now is responsible for advertising? And, and I guess you did have a clue of advertising. Did you? I mean, did you? I mean, probably a little bit, but was it something that you cared about before? Uh, no, I wish I could tell you otherwise, but it wasn't. <laughs> I had, I'd never spent much time thinking about it yeah. uh, before. Um, so for me, I. Uh, I had been doing this product work for a long time and, and my image of myself was really as an engineer who worked on the products mm-hmm. and whether it was infrastructure or ranking or the front end, that was a, I was a product oriented engineer and that turned out to be not totally accurate. It turns out, I, you know, I was somebody who I just, I like hard problems. I like things that are impactful in the world. And so when Mark asked me to look into how we could bring advertising to mobile phones, mm-hmm. um, I was really skeptical. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't sure about it. But Mark is very convincing. Uh, and he, you know, he's, he's right more than he's wrong, that's for sure. And so he really believed in this and he really thought I could do it. And so I spent time and I was so lucky to have just tremendous resources. You know, Sheryl Sandberg sitting down for you, telling you about how the business is going to work or how things are, are playing out. You know, David Fisher, uh, Brian Bullen, great, great people who, um, people who I still work with today, Mark Rabkin, who's actually been on ads longer than anyone else in our technical team um, and is now running our core ads group, uh, re- reporting to me. So lucky to have people who are willing to take the time for somebody who do nothing mm-hmm. and, and just give me some ideas about things. And, and what I tried to give back to them was that fresh perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's so valuable. I mean, I'm sure you know yeah, uh, in your work, just that fresh perspective that you get yeah. uh, is so valuable. And so from as an outsider, they'd been working on it for so long, they were very deep in it. And as an outsider, I had a different perspective, which was, hey, what if we simplified this? Yeah. What if we reduced the number of, of formats we brought to market and made it clearer and made it easier for the market to understand? Um, what if we brought it into newsfeed as a native concept? Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the more surprising, one of the first things I had to come to Mark Zuckerberg with as a recommendation after he asked me to do this work. Cause I said, Hey, we need more ads. Yeah. And that's counterintuitive. Cause yeah. you think, wait, I want to, <laughs> you know, if you're thinking, if you, if you have a concern about the consumer experience, you might well, think the answer ads. is less yeah. ads. Uh, and it's wrong because what you want is when somebody shows up, you want to have a good ad to show them yeah. and you can't have a good ad to show them. If you only have one to choose from, if you only have one to choose from, that's the one you're going to show them. So by filling it out till we had a point where we had a lot more ads was um, controversial or counterintuitive maybe, mm-hmm. but that's been all the, the key to success. Because once you get that loop going, now we're in a place today where incentives are so well aligned mm-hmm. for marketers. If they want a better price, which of course they do, mm-hmm. they know the way. Mm-hmm. Better content, better targeting. Yeah, yeah right? absolutely. And, but and but for isn't us, that something that we can learn from it? I mean, in the, in the yeah. sense that 
I mean, if you look at Google back then, 2001, when they introduced AdWords, it was also revolutionary, and it was done by people that didn't have to do anything with advertising before. Yeah. And, and, and here again, you know, and I think uh, that's also, I mean, you talked about innovation today on stage, and I think something of this promoting innovation is making people unlearn sometimes probably cannot yeah. be an efficient thing or an effective <clears throat> thing. And, and you didn't have to unlearn how advertising worked. You just thought it new. And uh, isn't that something that you would recommend more it in, is. in companies? I think it's so important. You know, I tell when people join Facebook, mm -hmm. I, I often give a talk at the onboarding mm -hmm. and I tell people, um, you have a gift right now. Mm -hmm. and it's a gift of naivete. You have a yeah. gift of not knowing what you don't know yet. Yeah. And, and that allows you to have such a fresh cut and it's so valuable to come in and ask what you might be afraid are stupid questions, mm. but they're not. They're yeah. important questions because there's only two outcomes. Either one, they have a great answer and now you've learned something mm. or they don't have a good answer yeah. and now you've taught something. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, yeah. and so, so again, I think that was exactly the partnership that we still celebrate a lot inside of Facebook today is, is we try to bring in people who have very diverse backgrounds, mm -hmm. diverse histories, and we let people move around roles very often to bring that different perspective to the work. Because yeah. without that, you end up just getting into habits. Yeah. And habits are the self-enforcing habits. I, absolutely, yeah. yeah. The human brain is very expensive to operate. Yeah. You know, we like to just get into <laughs> get into just a, a good routine and and turn off the critical thinking, and you just go with the flow on these things. Um, and and that's an impediment to innovation for sure. Yeah. When I mean, you, you joined. Very early at Facebook, when was the first time you thought, okay, this is more than just you know some boys yeah. and girls creating a cool product? This is, I mean, this is going to be you're you're onto something. I mean, when when was like the first time you you thought, damn, this is this is going to be big? I mean, how big? Probably nobody of you guys imagined in 2006. But when was like the first time you thought, and probably together with Mark and people say, we are onto something? Yeah, you know, um, I think for both me and and Chris Cox, we we tell a very similar story. There was a point in time. Where uh, when we launched Newsfeed, that you know, Newsfeed was it was kind of unpopular mm -hmm. <laughs> um, by people. And Newsfeed, the largest group mm -hmm. ever created, was created the day after Newsfeed launched, and had a million people in it. And the group was called "I Hate Newsfeed." <laughs> and of course, the irony. Very encouraging yeah, for somebody actually, responsible for the Newsfeed. It, and, and of course, yeah. <laughs> as, a, as an aside, of course, you work on this thing, blood, sweat, and tears for nine months, and you think people are going to love it because you love it, and they don't. And it was it was a, it was a hard time. But what's funny, of course, what's ironic, I'm sure you you recognize is a group of that size was unthinkable before Newsfeed. Because how would it ever have gotten? There was no viral mechanism. There was no way to get information out there. But still, that wasn't the, the breakthrough moment for me. That was that was an exciting confirmation of what the platform was capable of. Mm -hmm. When we started to see people organizing for uh, causes mm -hmm. around Facebook, that was tremendous. At the time, Darfur was a tremendous mm -hmm. um, humanitarian tragedy, and the largest group that surpassed just for the the audience, Darfur in Sudan. That's right, right in yeah. Sudan. Yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, and the next large. The, the group that overtook the I Hate Newsfeed group as the largest group in, on Facebook at the time was a group rallying cause for the cause in Darfur, okay. which was undercoveraged by media at the time and, and wasn't getting the support that people that felt was it deserved. 2008? That would have been 2007, probably. Seven. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, early 2007. And so, you know, that for me was eye opening because mm -hmm. we'd gone from, you know, people on a platform talking with the platform, which is very inward looking. Mm -hmm to people using the platform for something that was much bigger than what the platform was. Until that moment, I still had a mental model of Facebook that was like, this is for college kids and it's for fun and photos and this and that. That was when I realized, oh, wait, like organizing people is, is powerful and, and they can cause a lot of good. 
There's been nothing like that before, right? I mean, where would have people met before this? Probably not online. I mean, I think it was it was a you know there was certainly stuff? No, people were people were making yeah. there, certainly there was no shortage of, of yeah. efforts, uh, grassroots movements, yeah. you know, people doing phone trees yeah. and and email lists and collections, but the the fact that you know a college kid with no resources yeah. could go create a, a movement of this magnitude uh, was really humbling for us. And that was the time when you basically said, okay, this is probably going to be bigger than just connecting a couple of college kids. Well, you, yeah, and you, you really shifted your mentality. You realized you said you had to respect it a lot more. Again, I, I use the word humbling in a very real sense when you realize that this thing is bigger than you and that you have a, you know, a, a role in that, which is, which of course you're grateful for, mm -hmm. but also, you know, a responsibility to just continue to push it forward. I mean, this technology has such phenomenal opportunity to cause good in the world mm -hmm. to manifest positively mm -hmm. um, and that's what we've been really on a mission to try to do let's probably switch a little bit more to the advertising side of things sure. if, if you are a brand today uh, what would be like your recommendations uh, to, to that brand if they want to start advertising on Facebook um, how would you go about this yeah you know jump in really like it's it's don't try to get it right <laughs> um one of the things people don't recognize enough even about facebook's own process for how we build our own products mm -hmm. is that we don't sit in a dark room and try to guess what's right mm -hmm. now we have intuition we have instincts that have been trained over years of just being humans and using technology but what we really try to do is as quickly as possible get to a point where we're testing something mm -hmm. with real people and seeing how they really react mm -hmm. Um, and I think for a lot of marketers, when you were doing a really big production on TV or print or, or outdoor multimedia, um, you know, a lot of that time is spent getting it right before it goes out. Because once it's out, that's it. And that's, that's where it is. And the cool thing about digital is you don't have to do it that way. You can jump in in a small scale test up front with different creative, different takes to different audiences and right away start getting feedback on what's working, what's not working. What do they like? What don't they like? Um, and what's cool is if, if it's done well, these tools will help not just these companies market better. They'll help them build better products, right? Like this is, This is real closed loop relationship building with a community and in, in, in real time response. Um, But do you have the feeling that most brands are using this potential of, of Facebook as a market <clears throat> research tool? Because my feeling they don't, I mean, not very many people get that Facebook's probably, apart from being a great marketing platform, one of the greatest market research tools where you have real user feedback instantly. Yeah, no, and I think, well, there's two parts to this. I mean, one of the most important pieces is what we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. you know, businesses have a way that they've been doing things for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think there's just a degree of inertia. Mm -hmm. And so, no, I think a lot of companies aren't really embracing that. I think mm -hmm. some of the, the ones that are, are smaller companies that have nothing to lose mm -hmm. and they're looking for every advantage. Yeah. Um, and the larger companies or, or the more mature companies have to realize that that's happening and that mm -hmm. that's a, that's a, an opportunity for them to be better, yeah. but also a risk if they don't take advantage because yeah. somebody else is. I think there's a, one exciting thing, which is, you know, as you, to kind of the other part of your question, which is, okay, are these companies doing it today? Could it be a, a bigger part of market research? That is a piece that I really love. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really love this idea. It is because it's how Facebook develops products mm -hmm. is we put out lots of variations of something very small to a small number of people. We see how they react to it. We start internally. We start with employees mm -hmm. And that's actually pretty good because yeah. um, there's, there's 10,000 of us and that's a start. Pretty good sample. It's a good sample <laughs> size, right? And then we, and, and it's reasonably diverse and you can expand and find different markets. And so, um, yeah, what a tremendous opportunity for people to build these deeper relationships and connections and understanding of what their audience is, which is changing so quickly. Mm -hmm.
I mean, there has been some discussion on whether, you know, you can actually build a brand on Facebook. Uh, if you build the advertising platform, what, 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 do you have in mind, like, whether you build it for branding purposes or whether you build it for performance purposes more? Or is it something that you yeah. basically say it's equally relevant goals to, to what we do and what we want to achieve? You know, both are equally important to us. You know, we've, we've got a platform that's got unparalleled reach and at the same time unparalleled targeting. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason that, that you can't fulfill both the responsibilities. And what's been interesting is, and I'm sure you already know this, it's a bit of a false choice yeah. in the sense that, you know, the people who've had such tremendous uh, direct response success on our platform, mm -hmm. mobile game companies, e-commerce companies, the conversations they're having with us today, it's about brand building. Yeah. Right. You know, if you're in the mobile gaming space, you want to build your brand mm -hmm. so that your next title, so you're not dependent on one title. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're in e-commerce, you want to, you don't have to pay for reacquisition. You want to build your brand. So mm -hmm. people come and you build that relationship directly. Likewise, um, you know, I think great brand oriented companies who've been doing tremendous work on the platform. They want to understand how do you close the loop? Like yeah. they want to look. So, you know, I think everyone needs to, to consider both sides of the mm -hmm. opportunity. Yeah. One of the pieces that's, that's quite interesting as it relates to this is, is if you think about how our auction works, mm -hmm. this is a very kind of fundamental part of our technology. Um, we, there's an incentive for people to create more relevant content, mm -hmm. right? And you can do that in two ways. You can create better content or you can create content that's better targeted. Um, and that's cool because it aligns incentives between Facebook and, and marketers. Um, and I think me coming from the consumer side for seven years, um, building a system where the incentive is for marketers to create better consumer experiences mm -hmm. is, is kind of what I always had in mind. And, yeah. and it's maybe what I'm most proud of about, about the system. Um, although it, of course it, it, many parts of it predate me. Um, I think the, the opportunity then, if you're a brand marketer to find who loves you and really for a really relatively low price yep. uh, or even for free, if you're producing tremendous organic content, um, develop loyalty yep. and at the same time be prospecting for what different messages will work for people who aren't currently your customers yep. and what is the brand narrative that works for them and move them into that audience. It's very cool yep. in real time, looking at just the price, you can tell how good your fit is. And that is something I think that's uh, in terms of market research. I mean, you don't have to theorize what your target group is. You actually see it like in a very sm that's right. granularly sliced and diced uh, totally. uh, targeting uh, uh, possibilities. And that's that, right. Yeah. And I think that, that's probably one of the biggest opportunities of, of, of people. And, and of course, look, we're always trying to get better at things like yeah. prospecting where you could maybe put it out to a broad audience. And what you'll find, Facebook's, you know, the, the auction, the delivery system yeah. will automatically find the people within that audience that are the right people yeah. and people it doesn't reach or that for whom it's expensive, you now do different things. Now you can also, I mean, just as feedback also from an advertiser Thank user you. perspective, you can really see how that system becomes better and better and better. I mean, the, you know, you, you, most of our startups, they start with a uh, custom audience and they start with retargeting and then they try to expand and the, and the, and the ratio of money they're able to spend on prospecting things and, and lookalike audiences gets more and more and more because you can really see how the totally. product improves and, and that is... Uh, I mean, uh, that, that's impressive to see, to be very honest. Well, I'm, gl I'm glad to hear that feedback. Yeah. And what I really am most proud of is I think this, the feedback is also reflected in the consumer experience of yeah. advertising, who people feel like, hey, I'm getting more and more relevant ads. I'm less and less aware of ads or seeing fewer and fewer negative ads. And that's where this whole ecosystem together make, can make such progress uh, together. But, but when, you, when you talk about user experience, I mean, there has been some discussion that there has been like too many ads in the newsfeed or that has been like a maximum reached in the newsfeed um, of, of the number of ads. I mean, how do you guys determine what, what, like how much you can actually put advertising in there? Uh, how, what, what's kind of your concept and, and your way of looking at this? Yeah. Um, can, you, can you share some, some thoughts about 
that? Yeah, of course. You know, it's very integral to how we think about newsfeed as a system. Yeah. Um, so let's set aside ads for a second. You know, newsfeed is always trying to show you the, the best, most relevant content that we think is going to be meaningful to you. Mm-hmm. Um, we use a lot of different signals to do that. Certainly your existing behavior. We also you know, run surveys to see qualitatively what people remember as being a meaningful and important thing to them, even if they didn't engage with it. Um, and we take all of those concepts of ranking the quality of a connection or the quality of content. And we apply those to the ads. Mm -hmm. So the auction has two parts. One part is is the bid. That's the easy part. The other part is what do we think the quality of the connection is? Mm -hmm. And the quality of the connection is what determines how much we feel comfortable showing you ads. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for some people, they may see less. Other people may see more, depending on if we think we've got something that's really good to show you. Um, Now, the most important thing is, of course, we're not going to get it right every time. uh, And and we're going to have misses. Uh, We want to get better over time. So one of the things that we've built is ad preferences. So in every single ad you see on Facebook, you can hit a drop down. you can find out why you're seeing it, you can hide it, you can complain about it, you can say this is an inappropriate ad, and that's going to be a feedback to our system, uh, and it's going to work at every level. It's going to work at the global level till we learn about what types of connections work for all humans. It's going to work at the personal level for you personally, what is working for you and not working for you, um, and it's going to work on that ad. So we're going to adopt, you know, adapt how we think about that ad for this kind of audience based on that feedback. Does, so we, does your consumer, be less, does your behavior within the newsfeed on, on not sponsored content, on non-ad content, Does that influence ads and your reaction to ads? Does that influence newsfeed? So, yeah. so is there like a, a interlinkage between the, the ads concept and the and the newsfeed concept? It's totally connected. Okay. Yeah. So you know, because we're, we're just trying to understand how you feel about content. Mm-hmm. And whether that content is paid or organic isn't the most important thing. What's important is how you react to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that way, you know, I think ads are kind of interesting because it's a, it's a kind of a form of prospecting for newsfeed. You know, we're showing you things that you wouldn't otherwise have seen, and, and we learn a lot from that. Mm-hmm. One one question I think that that naturally pops to your mind is, I mean, if if you look at the amount of video that's that shared now on Facebook, and and also that advertisers start to use on Facebook, is there going to be like ads within videos that you guys? operate and ad- administrate and i mean there's been some discussion on whether there's yeah. like a what do you call that a mid-roll mid-roll uh, i think um is, is that going to be rolled out soon is there anything you, you can comment on like some kind of advertising format geared to video yeah no we have we've talked about this publicly we're, we're in tests mm-hmm. to do an ad break uh for for content creators mm-hmm. um and they have some control over where the content shows up so we can make sure it's at a, at a reasonable point in the user experience mm-hmm. we like the idea of giving uh, the consumers a chance to, to to watch a video decide if it's something they want to invest in and commit to mm-hmm. um, before we introduce kind of any advertisements to it. Um, yeah, video is a massive trend, and I'm sure you're tracking this as well. It's another one, kind of like mobile, I think people continue to underestimate. They keep thinking, oh, like video is getting bigger. It's like, no, no, no. It's like, it's still, it, the, the ramp is incredible. We're still yeah. at the very early stages, not just in Facebook, but across the entire industry. Um, I mean, just within Germany, you're looking at, you know, 25% of, of people's time on video not being spent on traditional TVs anymore. They're being spent on digital video. That number is growing rapidly. Um, and so I think there's a, you know, for, for us, video is this massive trend and figuring out ways to make sure content creators have the incentives. Again, I'm all about incentive alignment, mm-hmm. figuring out ways to make sure content creators have the incentives to produce that great content that people want to see. That's very important to us. So we're going to explore a lot of different things. You know, this is one thing that we're testing right now. We don't know how that's going to play out. We're going to see how these tests go. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to explore a lot of different things to make sure that the ecosystem is very healthy. But is the, the model going to be basically the content creator can decide where a natural break would be and then the ad will be shown based on your basically algorithms and, and would there be like a ref share behind that or what, what can you comment on that? Is the it? test we're starting is mm-hmm. that the, the content creator can kind of within some bounds specify where the break would be and then mm-hmm. we'd be the ones to write supplying the ads. You know, we haven't talked a lot about 
the models behind it yet because mm -hmm. it's so early on and we're just yeah. testing those yet. I think once we have a little more data under the belt, we'll be talking a lot more publicly about it. Okay. Oh, but that that's going to definitely going to be something that's that's quite interesting. Uh, what about ads on on Instagram? Is um, is there going to be like a completely different? Are, are we going to expect completely different ad formats there, or is the 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 set of ad formats that we see on Instagram today is that what what what's going to be the the the, the optimal monetization strategy for you guys? I mean, do you feel there's a lot of things to improve it still, or? Well, so Instagram has been just a tremendous success for marketers who've been adopting the platform and the growth has been incredible. You know, we're certainly talking about uh, the Instagram stories format mm -hmm. is very exciting mm -hmm. um, and is very different. You know, that's, that's a completely new paradigm. It's getting increasingly common across the internet. You know, so medium just launched a very similar format uh, uh, this week. Um, and I think that's becoming a very common mobile native format. Um, I think there's a huge opportunity for us to, to think about what ads could look like in that format. Yeah. Well, one thing I think that, that, I mean, dynamic ads, at least for us, perform a lot better if you have a product feature. Sure. It. I mean, that's, uh, I guess, not our own experience. That's probably across the board. I think one one thing that, that pops up when you see this Cambridge Analytica debate, I don't want to go into fake news, whatever, that's not interesting to be here. But, uh, uh, but one thing I think that you can probably learn from it, and I think a lot of advertisers have problems with, is, okay, if you have a product feed, that's quite easy to generate uh, a dynamic ad with your help. Is there going to be something similar with content? Uh, that, that would be quite interesting uh, from, from an advertiser perspective, but I think it's very hard to do to produce a content feed that's structured and dimensioned so that you can use it in the same way as a, as a, as a product feed. Do you think that's, that's possible to do that, to, to do that large scale? I think, it's a, I think it's possible. I think it's very likely going to be um, for, the, for, for advertisers who are really progressive. Yeah. Um, you know, Everything from just changing the the copy on an ad into a different number of different variations, changing slightly different edits of a video. You know, those could become valuable edges yeah. uh, in terms of, of, of advantages, excuse me, in terms of, of comp competing and finding the absolute best price for media yeah. or the best fit for your audience, um, which of course are the same thing on Facebook. Um, so I think that's, that's it's an, it's an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing is the dynamic ads work that we're doing today, which yeah is based on product catalogs or, or sales catalogs, um, on our side should scale independent of that. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. There are, there's a, there's a tools gap still for a lot of companies mm -hmm. um, in trying to, to be able to take their creative and slice and dice it into these different formats. That's mm -hmm. not currently the process most companies go through. So I think for a lot of companies, it's kind of a walk before you run situation yeah, where, sure. you know, are, are they even taking advantage of, of digital tools mm. that we have to run one creative, yeah. let alone to run multiple creative. Um, but no, I, I do think that's, that's an a thing that's going to become more and more popular as time goes on, more and more successful as time goes on. Do you think that AI is going to ca or can play a role there? Because, I mean, that you use AI to structure content and basically don't let the users do it, but could that play a role there? Well, what's interesting is, you know, of course, AI is already playing a role. Yeah. You know, when you think about the success that, that hopefully, you know, your companies are having with, uh, with dynamic ads, that's, uh, it's artificial intelligence that's powering that. It's machine learning running on Facebook's uh, ads optimization system, running a newsfeed that's understanding people, that's understanding content and trying to make the best fit match. Um, and so on the you know, on the market side, yeah. we're already using a lot of AI mm -hmm. to do that matching and that's going to get a lot better over time. We're going to get better at prospecting. We're going to get better at finding people completely new connections that were unexpected before. Now on the side of like how to uh, 
best edit content into different structures. I think that's actually, that's a very hard AI challenge. I mean, I think you probably know that already, but yeah, yeah you know, understanding content well enough to make edits that feel rational to, yeah. to an audience, um, that feels a bit distant, but uh, yeah. I think someday, sure. But, okay. but for t today, but you feel that the, currently the level, level of natural language processing is not up to the point Or the or language processing in general is not up to the point where you could do that. Yeah, it's, it's one of the classic problems in, in computer science that sounds like it should be easier than it is. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a professor at Harvard who called it AI complete. If you can solve this set of problems, you can solve all, you can solve all problems. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it's really, it's, it's one of those things that's so, so easy for humans. We don't understand how it can be so hard for computers. But, but natural language processing, to the degree of trying to generate language that feels natural to people, mm -hmm. is, a, is a real challenge. Probably one one thing uh, that would be interesting also for for the audience is the audience network. Sure. Um, because is is there going to be uh, like can any website in the future use use that? Are, are there any plans to to, to do that? Um, opening that up, or is that something that you that you would comment on? <laughs> Tom is giving me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so no, look. I mean, so. Audience Network, you know, we're thrilled to be working with publishers. Um, we've been working with publishers a long time in terms of trying to provide a distribution channel. Mm -hmm. We're thrilled to also be trying to provide avenues for them to monetize uh, natively on their own sites and on their own websites and apps. Um, you know, there's certainly everything that goes through Audience Network is subject to the same community standards that the content that we have mm -hmm. uh, on Facebook is subject to. So in terms of the quality of the placement that the publisher has, in terms of the quality of the traffic the publisher has, those are very important and those are going to be gating in terms of who's going to have access to, to the Audience Network. Because that, that's a place that we're really, our advertisers are trusting us to find them a quality value and we always optimize mm -hmm. for advertiser value. Again, this is another kind of exciting little tidbit about the auction. The auction does not optimize for money to Facebook. A lot of people don't know that. Mm -hmm. It optimizes for value to, to the advertiser. Okay. Because we always figure, um, you know, revenue is a trailing indicator. Mm -hmm. Lead with value. Yeah. And so we optimize for value first. And we trust that the revenue will come later. That's how you grow budget. That's how you grow share. That's how you build, help people build brands and build businesses on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and so the same thing is true for Audience Network. Yeah. We lead with the advertiser value. Um, and, and that should is, that's great for publishers in the long term because yeah. if they build a good strong business then that's going to continue to be a sustainable business for them over the term but so there, those are the kinds of limitations that would affect audience network I think that's I mean it's very smart it's very logical to do that but it's kind of <laughs> frightening that that hasn't been the practice in, in, in media for the last I don't know 100 years uh, but but I guess you're, you're right because I think the scarcity is always the advertiser's budget and if they are able to get value out of the budget then they're going to spend more and that's how you grow and um, it helps and it helps it creates more um, sustainable predictable revenue streams whether it be for Facebook in, in the case of, of the ads that we're running natively or for publishers mm -hmm. um, we had this question just on stage but I mean obviously a lot of the audience is, is cannot be uh, as, as, as has not been able to listen to you so I, I want to repeat it I mean one very interesting question is Is it still possible to, to, to get an app, an exclusively an app, up, up in the App Store? And, and would you recommend that to, to startups to, to just put a lot of emphasis on the app? Or is the mobile web becoming a lot better? So that's not... I mean, do you see the app as an intermediary kind of solution? Or is it something uh, uh, that, that's going to stay? And, or is the mobile web going to replace it because it's going to become more functional and more mm. powerful uh, in the future. I mean, yeah. look, we're in a very competitive environment across yeah. the board and there's a lot of uh, great companies doing great things out there. So the mobile web is um, great in terms of access. Mm. Uh, it's a challenge when it comes to the, the richness of the functionality, the interactivity that you can provide. Um, 
apps have such tremendous capacity in terms of what they can do natively, mm -hmm. but it's very hard to get them installed. And once you get them installed, it can be hard to get them opened. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think there's challenges on the other side. If I was to start a company, you know, I really wouldn't focus uh, on what it is first. I would focus on what value I'm creating first. Because mm -hmm. there's some types of value that really require the richness and interactivity or the native functionality, in which case the, the question is solved for you. Mm -hmm. You need to build an app. There's some that really benefit a lot more from having a broad access. Can people on 2G connections in India? Mm -hmm. Can people in Brazil? Can people in uh, Nairobi? Uh, can they... Take a, get access to it. And, and for those ones, maybe the mobile web is a very good solution. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, for me, for entrepreneurs, just figure out what the value you create is um, first and foremost. Uh, there isn't going to be a one-size-fits-all answer to the question of, of apps versus the mobile web. Mm -hmm. one, one thing that ties a little bit into that is this, this whole ad tech discussion. I mean, Fred Wilson, uh, Union Square Ventures, you said, uh, let's face it, uh, like as venture capitalists, uh, Facebook and Google have won ad tech and, and everybody else has lost. I mean, that's what he said. But I think that's kind of fatalistic and, <laughs> and I, I hope that's not the case. But, but still, <coughs> one has to recognize, I think you guys, depending on the stats, have, have gained like 80% of uh, the new revenue uh, last year created and, and advertising has gone to Google and Facebook. Would you still see the possibility for, for young entrepreneurs to, to do something in ad tech? Because I mean, there's such humongous opportunity, but, but is there room for for others than than you guys or snapchat you know we work with such tremendous partners already yeah. so the answer is definitely yes i mean you look at the facebook marketing partner program and you've got people across a, an entire a broad range of different services they're providing to the industry that facebook's not going to prov not providing now and is not going to provide whether that be integrating different data sources whether it be helping people uh, understand and get creative on board in the platform and, and whether it be analytics services they're providing there's a tremendous opportunity around the advertising ecosystem for people to create a lot of defensible, unique value um, that could be a lasting, sustaining business for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that there have been a lot of companies competing in a very tight set of spaces mm -hmm. um, and that didn't have a lot of unique or differentiating value in terms of, of either the data or capabilities they were bringing. And yeah, that's going to be a tough business. Mm -hmm. um, but I think really broadly, the ecosystem is, is doing well. There's a, there's a ton of independent companies out there that are, that are thriving, providing a lot of service to marketers, providing an intermediary to marketers that's providing a lot of value and they've, they've earned every cent that they make. Mm -hmm. uh, probably to, to, to finish uh, finish this off, I mean, it would be very, very interesting. I mean, you grew now 10,000 employees at Facebook? Yeah, we have a lot of employees. Or something like that? Is it 10,000? 17,000? Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> Stefan's 17, 17, so I trust him. So, so, and, and I guess you're growing. I don't by know, but he was pretty young, so I don't know if he knows what he started. <laughs> <laughs> by a couple of thousand people, probably employees every year now. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and 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 you said it either either you kill yourself or somebody else will will do it. I mean, how can you how can you how do, are you achieving it to to stay hungry and and like and uh, how can you organize innovation in in a growing corporation uh, and and how do you make sure that you're going to be your own disruptor again and again and again i mean how do how do you try to do that i don't think you can ever be sure of it mm -hmm. um which i think is is uh kind of a, a peek into the paranoia that underlies people in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. This predates Facebook. You know, Andy Grove, uh, one of the great pioneers of Silicon Valley, you know, chairman of Intel for a long time and, and a real mentor to so many leaders in Silicon Valley, in, including Mark Zuckerberg, um, had a famous saying, which is only the paranoid survive. Mm -hmm. And this is what it was about. It was about uh, having the humility uh, to, to not 
believe that you're unbeatable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about being hungry and being driven uh, to see every opportunity uh, as your opportunity to lose mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and believing in yourself <clears throat> that you can, you can go do that, but that it's yours to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we try to approach our work with that. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody at Facebook, and I think this is one of our, our most evergreen cultural traits in the 11 years that I've been there, mm-hmm. um, when somebody at Facebook says something that sounds very wrong to you, mm-hmm your first instinct is to try to explore that idea, mm-hmm. which is just not how a lot of companies, it's, like, it's a kind of yeah. expensive for humans. It's not how many people work. It's certainly not how many companies work. Um, when somebody says something that I just completely disagree with, mm-hmm. um, I've actually learned this from a, a, a woman I work with named Ami Vora, who's, who's brilliant. She always answers, she says, fascinating. And when she says fascinating, what she really means is that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I must understand it better. So a real genuine curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what, what helps I think is, is, you know, how much we believe in the mission to make the world more open and connected. Mm-hmm. I work with a lot of people who don't have to be at Facebook. You know, they could be anywhere. They could be nowhere. They, they, they come every day and they show up at Facebook. Why? Because mm-hmm. they believe in the power of this technology. They believe in what it's, it's capable of. And if you approach your work with that kind of a passion and enthusiasm, and an openness and a curiosity, then when you see these new things being done, whether it be, uh, you know, our, the shift to mobile, now the shift to video, you don't feel afraid. You don't feel defensive. You feel like, wow, this is great. People are doing great stuff. Like, how can I, mm-hmm. how can I build things that help? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the attitude that we've approached it with. But of course, having said all of that, there is no guarantee um, that, that we don't become obsolete or get replaced by someone who's, who's better or different. Um, and, and that is a, just a very deep part of our DNA, that, that mm-hmm. constant nagging feeling that maybe somebody is doing it better and there's something that we're missing. Re- related to that, I mean, if you, if you look at a lot of German but also European companies, um, um, the feeling is kind of if they buy startups, if they buy companies, they always add something that's quite close to what they do already. And my feeling is if you look at Facebook, you always add things that you don't have a clue about. Yeah. So things like Oculus or uh, where you say, okay, and is it fair to say that you try to, to like also acquire things or, or learn about things always and also use it as like an integral part of your M&A DNA where you basically say if there's things out there that might contribute to our mission, however crazy it is, we, we, we add it and it can also be a competence uh, even if it's 18 people and, and, and nothing but eight smart 18 people having uh, that, that run something that doesn't monetize at all but that might be a, a competence because there's a big discussion in European companies whether that's something you should do and, and if you look at what you guys do, my feeling is that's probably even more important than adding businesses. We, you know, we certainly seek out a diversity of opinions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're a very global company, and so we've got people who come from different backgrounds and different technologies. But when you find somebody who just thinks so differently than you do, mm-hmm. what a gift. Mm-hmm. You know, what a gift for you to have that opportunity to see the world through eyes that just uh, observe a different spectrum of light somehow. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think we absolutely always trying to augment not just the technology, which is great, mm-hmm. but the capacity to see the world differently. Um, and you think maybe if you do that enough, you know, maybe that helps you um, see change coming before others do. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks a lot. Um, I think no more questions from my side. Thanks great. a lot. For, I appreciate for, it. Thank you for taking the time. Um, thanks a lot for, for being so open. Uh, and I hope the audience will enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Buzz.